welcome to another episode of Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. Yeah, we're doing that podcast again. I'm Joe. I'm Nick. And uh, today we're uh, getting ambitious. We are going to do our first ever series, mostly out of necessity because Nick is going on leave and he's going to California. Fuck, I'm not going to California. (laughs) What the fuck? You don't listen to me. I thought you were going to California. No. Where are you going? I'm going to Texas. Oh, that's not even remotely close to the same thing. It's buddy related. Oh, okay. I don't. Visiting family, I tend to drive, and yeah, I think more or less on the first 30 minutes to an hour, I'm just like, why am I driving? Why am I doing this? I hate- Do I need to see my family? I I don't need to see my family. I hate them too. Fucking hate it. Like driving from Texas just to fucking Washington. That drive is awful. I wanted to kill myself at least on every road I saw. Yeah, because once- All right, so driving through Texas, like the east part of Texas takes like fucking eight hours. And then you're rewarded by getting into New Mexico, which is nothing. Terrible. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hear there's nice touristy spots from New Mexico, but that's not the part that you drive through. No. Um, and then you go through Utah. Again, not the nice part. Nope. And if you want to get adventurous, you can drive through Northern California, which is a, which is, which is a scorched hellscape. Okay, here's what I did. <laughs> I drove from Texas, went through from Central Texas to El Paso, mm-hmm. New Mexico, Arizona, up California. I did that visited when I was my go- family. Yeah. And I was like, why'd I do this? I should have just flew. That drive sucked. I did that on my way back from Oregon when I was uh, uh, on the firefighting cruise. I was half tempted to sell my truck in California just yeah. to fly. So I guess we should get remotely on topic today. Uh, well, I know you're excited because you're leaving um, and you get to go on vacation. Eh, you know, eh. I mean, vacation from the army is like the sweetest vacation. On it Earth. is until I'm like, probably 10 days in and I'm just like there's nothing to do yeah yeah oh well yeah we'll find out who knows yeah well today we are actually going to cover uh something that we have meant to cover since we actually came up with the idea of this podcast I think it was like on our first idea it was and that is the war of 1812 and uh the reason we're going to cover this is because it doesn't seem like well it seems like most people know about it but they don't actually know about like they well, don't know shit about it it's really glossed over in like textbooks during yeah. school it's really gl- all they talk about really is that uh the burning down of the white house yeah and then the actually, first lady fucking saved george washington's painting and it wasn't actually it her. Wasn't her well, yeah. well but we'll get into that part right and uh we won and the the national anthem oh yeah uh that's right but you know that's another we'll get into that argument and part two uh the war of 18 18- 12 part two electric boogaloo is we'll we'll actually talk about who actually won this war. Um, but you know, I remember growing up, I took a lot, you know, history class is like the only class I pay attention to. I think we've talked about that one a half dozen times now. Um, and I still didn't know a whole lot about it, uh, because it's kind of glossed over. It's that weird middle zone in between the civil war and the revolutionary war not a part of history that people seem to care a whole lot about which is really weird because that's technically our first big declaration of war as an independent country it is our first declaration of war i don't see why it should be glossed over right but it also i can see why it is honestly it it doesn't make us look great it doesn't um yeah i mean i don't know how it it can't be though i mean think think of this it involves emperor napoleon the first of france and involves multiple invasions of canada the creation of the u.s national anthem um, the routing of forces away from the nation's capital, which you think is something that people want to fight to the death. And then, yeah. you know, it, if you're our current president, you only really remember the burning of the white house part and everything else is Candace's fault. Um, 
you know, history isn't always that simple. It's kind of why we're here. Yep. Um, so let's begin the story. Um, it begins after America's first war, that whole one of independence. Um, as you may imagine, by war's end, England and the newly freed United States were not exactly the tight-knit friendship that they are today. Yeah. Um, instead, the U.S. depended a lot on France for trade, while uh, England began to get weary at this new independent nation's and new geopolitical foe um, that bordered their rather important colony of Canada. Yeah. Um, generally, these disagreements between the two surfaced in what we now consider proxy wars, um, though not in the form that Americans are used to, um, in that, that we are the ones getting proxied. Uh, we're the victims. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we... We had to learn it from somebody. Yeah. Um, we took notes. Yeah. Uh, you see, we studied. We, you see when the America broke free from England, England began to worry about uh, what American designs and intentions were about Western expansion. And more than that, England was worried about possible American ideas about Canada. Uh, if you remember in the Revolutionary War, and if you don't, or if you're not American, go back and read it. Uh, we probably won't cover it. Um, because it's not exactly donkey territory. Yeah. And Mike Duncan killed that shit and revolutions, and I'm not going to step on its toes. <laughs> um, so we already <laughs> invaded Canada before um, with the intention of taking it over. So, I mean, uh, there's we have a history. Um, the episode ended in hilarious defeat, but the seeds were sown in the mind of England's leaders, one that England could, like, couldn't keep its... Uh, and keep a you know, blind spot. And they decided that instead of deploying massive amounts of regular troops to Canada, they would keep their young adversaries in check through the local Indian population. Yeah. Um, so in the treaty of Paris, which ended the revolutionary war and was signed in 1783, Britain ceded the U S control of the Northwest territory. What they didn't do was abandon their forts in the area and stop arming the natives. Mm. Um, and they also paid the natives to attack Americans. <laughs> Nice. Um, so you can see that there's kind of issues here. Also, I, I couldn't find the exact wording of the treaty in modern English, but the treaty is worded so that they were actually allowed to stay in their forts. And I don't know if that is um, America's desperation to end the war and get on with starting a state um, or the fact they didn't read it all that closely. I I go with the second one, honestly. I think it might be both like France is like, dude, just fucking sign it and let's get this over with. Because, I mean, in the late 1700s, France has a lot of its own shit to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> and we're kind of looking at him like dad. Yeah. Looking up. So they began to organize the natives and pay them to launch attacks on American settlements and civilians, like I said. Uh, so, in effect, the Brits just didn't care about the treaty and the U.S. knew it. The issues would eventually lead to outright war between those two sides, that is, the natives and the Americans, not the British and the Americans. So the British were definitely involved. Right. Um, this war did not go well for the new United States. Um, after numerous raids and settlements, uh, President George Washington ordered the U.S. Army to march into the area and settle the problem. The only problem that was handled, though, was that the Americans were in the natives' land. Hmm. Um, the first campaign in 1790 was led by a General Joe Harmer, was so thoroughly routed it became known as Harmer's Defeat. The next, in 1791, became known as St. Clair's Defeat, in case you're wondering if it ended any better than the first. Nice. Um, so when you say routed, it really brings me back to my Empire Total War days or Napoleonic Total War. It, effectively the same. They're not marching away. They I just are, see a flag blinking and running. Yeah. That's all I see. Yeah. 
Your yeah. troops have been routed. Yeah. yeah, when St. Clair brought the mouse over his troops, it just said shattered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, he knew he was in trouble. They so probably said, won't be coming back. So he just hit escape. Uh, General St. Clair's combined force of regular army and militia was so soundly beaten, only 24 people escaped the campaign unharmed out of about 1,000. Fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It would actually uh, would become the, um, the most troops ever lost to natives. Ever in the history of the United States. I could believe that. Yeah. And this is like decades before we get into the Indian Wars with Custer, which is yeah. the one that everybody knows about, or the French Indian War that happened before this. Which we do want to cover. Yeah, we do. Um, St. Clair did such a bad job. The investigation into his campaign was actually the first one ever by the executive branch of the United States government. So he's blazing trails. Jesus Christ. Just in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was only then when Revolutionary War hero Mad Anthony Wayne gathered an army that was awesomely titled was the Matt Legion of name? the United States. Was Mad his first name? Uh, it's in quotations. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. He gathered the Legion of the United States in 1793. Sweet name, dude. Yes. Um, and the Americans were able to get the upper hand. Anthony's legions crushed the natives at the, ball- the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Also, by the way... Huge missed opportunity here by the Department of F- Defense. They totally should have kept that name alive. Fuck Anthony's the United- Legions? No. The Legion of the United States. Oh, Legion. Oh, that would be that sweet. Would be way cooler. I mean, at least like, because you know, you know, a lot of the units that fought in the War of 1812, um, there's modern day army units that trace their lineage back to them. Not uh, The leading is, lineage is kind of hazy and gray. They're just kind of grasping at straws. Yeah. But there's no fucking Legion nowadays. Oh, we should have kept that alive. Yeah, that'd be sweet. That'd be a sweet name tape. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I imagine you get to have que- uh, sweet, cool white hats. Fuck, <laughs> dude. Uh, so this small war would eventually be known as the Northwest Indian War, the Ohio War, or Little Turtles War. Um, also showed something else that the British wanted, an Indian buffer state between the United States and Canada. Um, now, this isn't some like progressive idea of native sovereignty they just wanted a a check in place in case the united states ever got their shit together and decided they wanted canada they wanted some insurance before yeah right. it, they are effectively the same as like poland was to the soviet union yeah. they needed some space for people to roll through before they got to the real shit yeah um and there was you know they had a leader in tecumseh who could put their military together and something resembling something that could check the united states and i mean the United States at this point is, is fractured. There's states that won't trade with other states, uh, states that won't submit their militia to federal control for these wars. Um, you know, the Brits definitely had them. Kind in of ch- a shit show. Oh, God, yeah. Um, so that plan was shelved for the time being with the natives' defeat in 1795. Uh, the victory finally got rid of the rest of the British forts in the area, though. So the Legion did accomplish something important. Um, what really saved the U.S.'s ass here was that the British did not want to get involved in another front of what had become the French Revolutionary Wars that was spreading like wildfire through Europe at the time. Um, Great Britain was currently ass-deep in the war of the First Coalition against Revolutionary France. The last thing they needed was a distraction that could sap away their ground forces, or worse, have America join in and invade Canada. Um, Granted, I mean, Revolutionary France at this time is super unstable. This is pre-Napoleon as consul and later, later emperor. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know French Revolution that much. Mm-hmm. Is this Le Miserables time we're talking? Well, this is, I guess so, because this is in the middle of like the chaos of... Okay, so Russell Crowe's there. Just cutting through 
swaths of governments in very short amount of times. It's probably one of the more confusing areas of history that you can study because in a span of like three years, they go through a dozen governments. I have a hard time with that, which is why I stick to, okay, they had a revolution. Sweet. (laughs) Great musical. (laughs) Thank you very much, LA Public Schools. Um, So this fear of America joining their former revolutionary war allies never actually took place, or at least not directly. Um, Interesting side note, though. Some Americans would join the French Revolution. One of those Americans was a guy named William Haight, and he would lead a French revolutionary army uh, to invade the British mainland. This unit was known as the Legion Norde, or the Black Legion, invaded Wales in 1797 and led to the Battle of Fishguard. While his legion was defeated, it meant an American led the last invasion of the British mainland by foreign forces in history, at least so far. Nice. Tate's motivation, ironically enough, was intense British hatred due to his family being killed by British armed natives in the Northwest Territory. All comes full circle, Britain. What the fuck? We probably should have learned a lesson from that. Yeah. Like, if you keep pissing off all these people, it's eventually going to bite you in the ass. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we didn't. We tend not to. Yeah. It seemed like things between the U.S. and Great Britain had finally cooled down. Britain was still trapped in the Napoleonic Wars. And by the time of the year 1807, Britain is locked in the War of the Third Coalition now. And Napoleon is the master of mainland Europe. He was trying desperately to knock England out of the war and was even planning a land invasion of the British Isles until the Franco-Spanish Navy was destroyed at the Battle of Trafalgar. After this setback, a ground invasion of the British mainland was impossible, so Britain resorted to economic warfare. He would attempt to fight Britain's massive worldwide commercial power, which is never a good idea. (laughs) He is one of several people who thought this is a good idea. To do this, he rolled out what was known as the Continental System, This system was put in place to counter what was known as the the Golden Cavalry of St. George, which is a really, really fancy name for a giant British wallet that funded the constant stream of alliances who always seemed ready to fight France since the beginning of the revolution, meaning that Britain was funding everything. Right. Um, The constant wars had bankrupted most nations in Europe, except England, and England made sure to give them a reason to keep fighting, and that was Della Della Bill Bill. And that was what Napoleon was trying to fight. He was going to try to strangle them off from trade. Um, This system laid out in the Berlin Decree of 1807 meant that no nations allied or conquered by France could do business with England. The idea was if you were an island, Napoleon would strangle you off for trade. This meant effectively the entirety of mainland Europe could no longer trade with um, England. This didn't work out that great yeah. um, because it was impossible to enforce. And a lot of the nations who actually were loyal to Napoleon, not necessarily like terrified of being invaded um, because like he put family members in place of a lot of thrones. Right. Like his brother was the, I believe the emperor of the Netherlands. Um, he put a cousin, I think in charge of, of Spain Things like that. A lot but, of trust in that family. Well, even they like, kept trading with England because oh, okay. um, they had no fucking choice. So, like, if we stop trading with England, we're going to go broke. People are going to starve, man. So it was a bad system. England, though, immediately counted with the Orders of Council in the same year. The order forbade all trade with France, period. Its allies and neutral nations could not trade with France. You can kind of see how that's an issue. While France... Uh, France's order was constrictive to the people in its sphere of influence. 
England just said nobody can trade with France, period. Right. That is going to be hard to enforce. Um, one of France's largest neutral trade partners was, of course, America. Yeah. And America got pissed. They said Britain was in violation of international law by attempting to regulate who they couldn't and could not trade with, which was true. There was no law in place saying a sovereign nation could tell another sovereign nation who they can and can't trade with. Right. Unless it's an act of war. Um, British governmental opinion immediately turned on the U.S. And according to historian <laughs> Reginald Horseman, the probably the most Britishly named name. guy ever, he said, quote, a large section of influential British opinion, both in the government and the military, thought that America presented a clear and present threat to British maritime supremacy. Which is kind of hilarious because the Royal Navy absolutely controls the seas yeah. and America's Navy is virtually nothing at the time. Right. Um, they, they had a very large merchant Marine, which is different. Very uh, different. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but apparently they decided that America was now a threat. Um, at the same time, all this is going on. The Royal Navy had exploded in growth during the years of war on mainland Europe. And why wouldn't it? Their powerful Navy was the only thing keeping Napoleon at bay. It grew from 176 ships of the line to 600 and required a staggering 140,000 people to fully man. Holy fuck. During peacetime, this actually wouldn't have been an issue. They would have had plenty of volunteers um, with pay and benefits and all the other life of, you know, living on a ship. But the the wars had bred all sorts of small side careers such as privateers or joining the merchant marine both of which paid significantly better had better living conditions and were just all around a better deal right um so the royal navy began outright kidnapping people was it oh and i i know that as one of the issues they would uh look at uh america's naval ships or and take them i guess forcefully yeah that's where i'm getting to it's it was known as impressment yeah um or press ganging the Royal Navy could and would grab anybody who was a British citizen and force them to work aboard their ships without pay for effectively as long as they needed you, which was a long time. Um, if if you caught that little thing in there that said British citizens, you're going to learn Britain kind of stretched that definition pretty, pretty far. Yeah, they did. It was originally meant to force British citizens into service. Uh, deserters, people who just try to get away from serving, things like that. As time wore on, however, they began to care less and less about that whole British thing and began to press any serviceable sailor into service. To make matters worse, the British just outright refused to accept the idea of naturalized American citizenship, meaning anybody who had immigrated from England to America would be free for the taking. Right. Which was tens of thousands of people. (laughs) Um, The American government also believed any British deserter running from the coalition wars had the right to become an American if they wanted to. The British obviously had other thoughts on the issue. This would become a major issue to the American merchant marine sailing towards France at the time because a full 11,000 of the merchant marine sailors were naturalized citizens of British birth. Um, What? (laughs) 11,000. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, this is where the British order against neutral nations trading with France came into play. Americans knew that the order was in place. Of course they did. They hated it and we're going to do anything to get around it. Um, it was not going to stop them. So they tried various tricks to try to get around it. Some of them worked. Some of them didn't. But when they didn't, their ships would be taken in the Royal, by the Royal Navy and the entire crews pressed into service. It did not take long for this to erupt in war. Right. Or not necessarily war, but 
outright combat. Once people learn that just surrendering to the British was going to lead to the, a life of slavery, they're not going to go so quietly. Yeah. Um, and an incident became known as the Leander Affair. The HMS Leander, then under the command of captains William Leal and Henry Whitby, the HMS driver under Singlesby Simpson, which again, nice. so British. And the HMS Cambrian under John Narn were docked off of Sandy Hook, Connecticut, supposedly to watch two French frigates who had taken refuge in the harbor. However, in the summer of 1804, the warships began stopping and boarding all American ships going from New York to just outside the United States' three-mile territorial limit, searching for any goods bound for France. If they found anything suspicious... The ship was detained and taken to Halifax, Nova Scotia, along with its crew, who would not return. Does it say what is suspicious shipping? Um, it doesn't, but I will assume it's any shipping. Heck yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> On 25 April 1806, Leander was chasing a ship, and the ship would not stop. Leander fired a warning shot over the bow of, a mer- of the merchant ship signaling it for it to stop or it open fire for real. The cannonball, you know, it's warning shot sailed through the air, passed into the Harbor and hit a guy named John Pierce in the face, <laughs> decapitating him. Oh, fuck. He was the helmet of a, of a sloop known as the Richard. And, uh, was just going along his daily business. Jesus Christ. <laughs> just got fucking dome pieced out of nowhere. Did he not? Did they? I don't, th- fuck. I, I don't think backdrop was a huge concern of them. I don't think they were. They, all they saw was ship, nothing behind it. They had to have known. No, but they had to have known, but they're no fucks given. No, they just didn't give a shit. Exactly. So they're just like, do it. Yeah. I mean, they have to think, well, really, what are they going to do to us? Yeah. Which, I mean, is really. What are they going to do? Go to war with us? Which is effectively their entire name of their operation here is we don't give a shit. Our fuck bucket is dry. Yeah. What is America going to do? <laughs> They're not going to go to war with us. Yeah. Uh, so in another incident off the coast of Norfolk, Virginia, the American fr- frigate, the USS Chesapeake, was being stalked by the HMS Leopard. The Leopard's commander was an incredibly British man by the name of Salisbury Humphreys. Dude, I love these names. <laughs> I know these names are great. great. Uh, was acting under the information that the Chesapeake had several British citizens on board and meant to take them. The Leopard waved down the Chesapeake and ordered it to stop. The Chesapeake, being a warship, just kept going. The leopard decided it was going to fire a warning shot to tell it meant business. And it did. And then immediately followed it with a full broadside of cannons. Jesus. Before the Americans could react. Nice warning shots. <laughs> yeah, they. it was like, oh, well, like that meme on Facebook. Oh, when your warning shot hits the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, I don't know, Timmy got hit on the dock. No, no, no. The whole ship, yeah, got the whole hit. ship got fucked. Uh, the Chesapeake beat was completely unready for combat. As you can imagine, they weren't at war. Yeah. <laughs> and none of her guns were on the deck ready to fire. Um, and they quickly surrendered. In total, three of her crew were killed, 18 were wounded. And then to add insult to injury, the British boarded the ship and took the four British citizens into their custody. One of which, a guy named Jenkin Ratford, a British born yes. man, was actually really was a deserter from the Royal Navy. So he was promptly drug out to the uh, gallows and executed by hanging for desertion. (laughs) The other guys were not returned. Um, So how many people are on the ship at once? um, It depends on the size. Um, I know it goes by tonnage back then, and there's sloops and frigates. And I'm not exactly a a naval history guy. It's not my thing. Um, But I do know 
um, at the time in comparison to comparable British ships, American frigates were huge, um, like almost a double in size. Yeah. So 50, 60 guys. Okay. I want to say about a Pirates Caribbean amount much. Yeah. It's uh, at least one black pearl. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Um, it's a good size. Yeah. It's a measurement cup. <laughs> yeah. Um, this led to a storm of outrage in the American populace and its government. As you can imagine, uh, they just got wrecked by a British warship out of nowhere. Yeah, they got blindsided. Yeah. Uh, and they, I mean, they really didn't give a chance to surrender. Yeah. As you can, and, and I know uh, my, my American bias will come out in this. I try not to um, because America did a lot of dumb shit during this war, but America will get them back with an equally cheap shot yeah, I here mean, shortly. <laughs> for, I foresee a lot of salt. Yeah. Because there is still a lot of salt with this whole 1812 thing. Only if you're dumb. Yeah. And guess what? <laughs> There's a lot of dumb. Yeah. Um, so anti-British anger and sentiment began to build and they started. Um, I mean, this, this whole thing wasn't new. It all started when they decapitated that poor random guy back in April. Um, pre- uh, president. How fucking unlucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if only he stopped to tie his shoes. Yeah. Or like been anywhere else or yeah, I don't, not there. I, it just sucks to be that guy. Yeah. I, I mean, at least he didn't feel anything. Just true. Gone. Man, imagine being the guy who found him, though. Just headless laying in a dock. And nobody has any idea why. Because, you know, the, there's, his head isn't left. The cannonball had to completely obliterate it. Maybe the cannonball takes over as the head. That'd be sweet. That would be I'd sweet. like to see that painting. Um, I'd like to see that Batman villain. <laughs> cannonball face. <laughs> uh, so President Thomas Jefferson noted that, quote, ever since the Battle of Lexington, have I seen this country have such state of exasperation at the present that did not produce such hatred. After this, uh, the, it was the Brits' turn to be outraged in something called the Little Belt Affair in 1811. The what? The Little Belt Affair. They were in Little Belts now? It is name the ship. Horse shit. Um, there's an American frigate, creatively known as the USS President, attacked a British sloop known as the HMS Little Belt. You get attacked for that name. That's a terrible well, the name. The Little Belt was uh, stolen from, I think, the Dutch. And the name meant something else in Dutch, but they were British, and they just said it sounded like Little Belt. I would change the name. Yeah, that's would, a terrible name. Too. If I saw that name, that's a beta name. Easy. Yeah. Dog that ship. Say <laughs> so the ship was a beta? <laughs> <laughs> Little Belt? Get fucked. Yeah, so the president is the, uh, fuck, what are they called? There's the cucks and the ch- the the president no. is the Chad. <laughs> the USS president is a Chad ship. Clearly, yeah. um, God, I fucking so he's a douche. Yeah, I fucking yeah. This ship has like frosted tips. He's got a flat <laughs> fucking uh, flat cap. God, I, oh, I I hate us right now. I don't blame anybody for turning us off after that. <laughs> Little Belt was uh was a sloop, so it was much smaller than a frigate. Um, so the. The little belt displaced only 460 tons. Uh, in contrast, the present uh, displaced 1,500. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the sloop mounted 20 guns while the president carried 56. That's um, more. And like I've pointed out, we are not scholars of naval warfare. I will never claim to know much about naval warfare unless I research it in depth, which I did not. The most I know about it is my dad was in the Navy. That's all I know about yeah. it. So, I mean, but everybody can see that this is not going to end well for the little belt. Yeah. So. Well, when Chad's on your six. Yeah. And he's coming for your six. Yeah. Real hard. Yeah. He's going to, he's go he's looking for some butt stuff. <laughs> God, I hate you. Uh, so when, when. Chad's looking to sue somebody. 
His dad owns everything. Don't you everything. know whose dad is? <laughs> yeah. uh, so when when fighting commenced, the uh, the president suffered only one man light wounded. Mm, splinters. Um, well, the little belt was just about sank. 11 of its men were killed and 23 were wounded. <laughs> um, so then the British obviously made calls for revenge. While the U.S. is just happy they finally managed they're to beat the Royal Navy. They're still not at war. No, they're not. They're not. They're just fucking. We're a year away from war yeah. at this point. Um, but then, you know, America was just happy that they beat the Royal Navy. And then just to give the British the middle That's finger. That's like a Chad thing. Yeah. So then just to be extra Chad, the U.S. Navy then impressed all the British sailors. <laughs> You're with us now. Yeah. They're like, well, come on, bro. We'll show you what yeah. happens when you impress us. We'll fucking kidnap you right back. Um, also remember that during all these incidents, um, the British back Indians are constantly raiding settlements all around America's Western border. Um, while the native forces had lost the Northwest war, that did not mean the British intention to create the native buffer state between Canada and America had stopped. Um, it hadn't, if anything, it just ramped it up because now the Americans are shooting at us. Um, as such, British weapons kept flowing right in the hands of the native fighters, um, attacks and, American settlers in the Northwest further aggravated tension between Britain and the United States. Raiding became, be, became much more common in 1810 and 1811. Westerners in Congress found the raids intolerable and wanted the government to find some way to end them permanently. British policy toward the Indians of the Northwest was torn between the desire to keep the Americans fighting and distracted and to preserve the region for uh, provided rich profits for uh, Canadian fur traders up north. Also versus the fear that too much of this shit would cause outright war with the United States. You know, they're they're trying to balance like 18 things at once. Yeah. And it's not going well. Can we almost say proxy war here? Oh, this is definitely yeah. a proxy war. This is absolutely a proxy yeah. war. Um, this is I guess this is where America learned it from, like I said. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the OG proxy war for America. This is where we took notes. Yeah. All this directly impacted the American attempt at expansion in the lands they were technically supposed to control since the Treaty of Paris. Uh, finally, on June the 1st, 1812, President James Madison sent an issue of grievances to Congress, which included the impressment of American sailors, armed engagement between the U.S. and British frigates, um, British supplied Native Americans with weapons, the British politicians in Parliament in Canada pushing for that buffer state. American trade with Napoleonic France was limited, and they wanted that to be stopped. Uh, the U.S.-Canadian border was never actually really drawn out at the conclusion of the American Revolution. It was kind of just shelved for later. Okay. And they wanted that to be resolved. Um, then that kind of turned into a declaration of war. Mm. Uh, the House of Representatives voted 79 to 49 in favor of the, the U.S.'s first declaration of war. The Senate would concur by 19 to 13, making it actually the closest formal vote on war in American history to this day, since we just don't vote on those anymore. Um, It became official when Madison signed the document into law on the 18th of June. Now here comes one of history's little curveballs. Back on May 11th, an assassin had killed British Prime Minister Spencer Percival. God, these names. Leading to an accession of a guy named Lord Liverpool. Yes. Who sounds like the British version of Captain America, but he just kicks soccer balls at people. Yes. Um, I love that name. One of the first things Liverpool did is wanting to <laughs> normalize things with the U.S. Uh, so he scrapped the orders of council and ended the impressment of soldiers. He also made this all official on June 23rd. Uh, because this is 1812, though, it would take three weeks for this new to travel across the ocean. I would imagine. 
By the time the HMS Colbury, the ship carrying the good news to the United States, got there, the U.S. already declared war, but would find all the reasons to declare war gone. Um, as well, the British would find out they were suddenly at war. Uh, imagine that you're the captain of the Culbury, like walking off the ship, holding all the good news. Yeah. And then suddenly everybody wants to shoot you. Fuck. That would <laughs> suck. I'd feel like the dude that got decapitated earlier. Yeah. Hey guys, really I'm blindsided. here. Yeah. Hey guys, how's it going? Get the fuck out. Um, it would actually take a further three weeks for the British government to find out they're actually at war. However. So in total six weeks. Yes. We're talking six weeks here. Uh, however, uh, it only took eight days for this news to reach a different part of England. That is Canada. The first people to learn about the war that are not the United States government are the British in Canada. You notice that there's a huge gap here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nobody decided to tell anybody about this shit in the American military. And I think this goes on even till later on. We'll get into it later, I'm sure, in part two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. I mean, it's just kind of the nature of the beast at the time. It's yeah. not like anybody can email anybody and, or there's not even like a This telegram. should have been an email. Yeah, there's not even a telegram or anything. They, they couldn't exactly. They had to depend on the, the speed of a giant wooden ship floating across the Atlantic Ocean. I, that's already a problem as is. Yeah. So the Canadians now know about the war. Um, it Like I said, it took eight days to reach British Canada. As soon as word reached Isaac Brock, the administrator of Upper Canada, he immediately ordered his militia to service and ordered the commander of the British post at Fort St. Joseph, a captain named Charles Robert, to invade northern Michigan. Just immediately. Um, Roberts began to look around to put an invading army together because they didn't have one. Yeah. Um, And uh, what he had was not impressive. He found three guys from the Royal Artillery, <laughs> 47 soldiers from the 10th Royal Veterans Battalion, who Robert notes in his dispatches were debilitated and worn down by, quote, unconquerable drunkenness. Because really, what else are you going to do in colonial Canada? Yeah. Uh, his words, not mine. Uh, and 150 Canadian fur traders and 300 natives. To invade Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Which really all you need to invade Michigan these days is some cheap light beer and, you know, an auto worker's job, I guess. But, you know, he doesn't exactly have the grand army here. With his, no, he doesn't. No. To make matters worse, Roberts actually kept getting orders from Brock to cancel and then restart the invasion. At the same time, he was getting orders from the adjutant general of all British forces in Canada, Colonel Edward Baines, to just focus on defending St. Joseph's Island. So he's getting like three different orders all at once. Um, so Robert decided right. to say fuck it and invade Canada on his own anyway yeah. on the 15th of July. Yeah. So he, uh, this hodgepodge of militia and fur traders and random drunken dudes just stormed into Michigan. <laughs> I would imagine like even these days, Michigan's not hard to take over. They're not known for their defense anymore. Uh, fucking red wings <laughs> get fucked. He threw a hockey joke at me. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Fuck you. Cause it's coming 30 days. Yeah, yeah. I don't need hockey to be disappointed. I'm also a Lions fan. I'm just, honestly, the worst thing my dad ever did to me was make me a sports fan before he died. Because <laughs> all my team just make me sad. Exactly. This is why I only hit you on one front. <laughs> I don't decide to hit you on all of them. So hilariously enough, the soldiers, uh, the U.S. soldiers were stationed at nearby Fort Mackinac, an island on the other side of the border, only numbered about 61 dudes. 
Had no idea they're at war. Yeah. Nobody knows anything. No. Somehow the government declares war and the first people to figure it out are dudes in Canada. Speaking volumes for the efficiency of early United States government here. Yeah. Um, the U.S. government had thought it had to debate, vote, and draft on a declaration of war. I never thought it was all that important to get word out to the guys in the forts near the place they were planning on fighting at. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. Jesus. Um, and honestly, even if they did know, they were no shape to defend anything no, whatsoever. Uh, yeah. I imagine they wouldn't even have enough time. Uh, well, I mean, they're in a, they call it Fort Mackinac. I've been to Mackinac Island. Um, I've been to the city of Mackinac. Not exactly the the most defensible place on earth. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I could see that because there's this, and we've talked about it in our old, another episode we had. I think it was 10, I believe. I can't remember. It was on Fort MacArthur. That was involved with the LA yeah, Air Raid. Yeah, yeah, And uh, that's not a fort. <laughs> no, it, uh, and that's this wasn't a fort as much as it was like a logging camp. Um, if the fort was in a highly strategic area. But it was about as poorly prepared for actual defense as it could have been. Fort Mackinac was a log fort on a limestone ridge which overlooked the harbor at the southeastern part of the island, which is obviously the important part they're trying to defend. Yeah. The 61 artillerymen were under the command of Lieutenant Porter Hanks. They had seven guns, but only one of those could actually reach the harbor they're there to defend. So if anybody rolled up there with anything, yeah. they only had one gun to shoot at it. They had another, what, five? They couldn't reach the harbor. So For they, show. So it was they, cool looking. They already had, they, at that point, troops are already on the shore. And, uh, yeah. Uh, their other weaknesses, however, were the garrison relied on fresh water on a spring outside the fort, which meant any siege was all but guaranteed to work if you just waited them out. Yeah. Um, the position was also overlooked by a higher ridge less than a mile away, well within cannon range if somebody got one up there. Which is something the United States military yeah, would take to, to run heart into in Afghanistan. A they seem to run yeah. into a pattern here. Yeah. And it turns out the army actually never learns from this. Yeah. It's only been, you know, 100 years or whatever. But uh, so he was completely aware of events elsewhere. Hanks wasn't stupid. He heard rumors of unusual activity at St. Joseph's Island. So he sent a fur trader, a guy named Michael Dusmond, who also was, uh, held a commission as an officer in his militia, to investigate. Uh, Deuceman set out by boat, which was quickly captured by the advancing British. And then Deuceman apparently very quickly changed sides. Nice. Uh, so he learned from Deuceman that the Americans at Mackinac were completely <laughs> and totally unaware of the outbreak of war and not prepared to fight. Robert's force landed at a settlement now named British Landing, for obvious reasons, at the north end of the island two miles away from the fort. On the early morning of 17 July, they hit the shore. They quickly removed all the villages and inhabitants from their home, dragged a six-pounder cannon through the woods to the ridge right above the fort that I just talked about, and fired a single round at the fort. Then they sent a message under a flag of truce demanding a surrender to the fort. Mm. I mean, how quickly do you think these guys capitulated here? I would imagine after the first shot. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, Hank's force was surprised and already at a tactical disadvantage. The flag of truce had been accompanied by three of the villagers. Who, this is something that's actually going to become um, kind of uh, one of the British, Can British Canadian Army's um, main tactics here. Lying their ass off and hoping nobody notices. Um, two of the villagers uh, came up to the fort and told Hank's that he had thousands of native soldiers. Ooh. 
And Hanks was started, you know, he had fought natives. He was immediately aware of being massacred by the natives. So he capitulated without a fight. Um, because this was the 1800s, however, um, Hanks and his men were completely paroled from British custody and sent marching south towards Fort Detroit. Getaway away, Scott There's no POW camps here. This isn't quite that age. Yeah. And so he just kind of turned around and went home. Uh, there was nobody got killed. Um, nothing. He just kind of walked away. Like, yep, here's your fort. Bye. Later. Yeah. Um, but the U.S. government wasn't that nice and immediately began court martial proceedings against Hanks. Because clearly none of this was their fault. <laughs> like, they didn't like, take yeah. blame in any of it. That I mean, that's a reoccurring thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's this is actually at this point in history. Um, it's pretty normal if uh, a general runs. They're going to have some issues and which is kind of insane when you think about it like oh you better fight and die or you're gonna go to court yeah um so at the same time at general william hull a revolutionary war veteran and the sitting governor of michigan led an invasion into canada so hall was backed by three regiments of militia and one regiment of regular army troops um, the regulars were reliable and well-trained while the militia were pretty much worthless. Um, on more than one occasion, Hall would actually have to order his regular soldiers to intimidate and sometimes beat the militia into marching. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually going to become a pretty common theme here in this war. Militia movement gone wrong. Well, it's like it's part of the large mythos of the American militia during the revolutionary war. And then nobody really talks about during the war of 1812 because they failed miserably. Yeah. But there's a reason why people like a standing army and not a whole bunch of farmers with guns. Yeah. I feel like people get that whole militia thing from uh, a movie. Well, I mean, it's part of the, nobody wants to be the plucky underdog who has lines of regular infantry and blue jackets who engage the British. That, that isn't fun. That isn't popular. Yeah. It's got to be the plucky underdog story of a whole bunch of farmers with muskets. And that's not true. Yeah. Um, so while this probably sounds really bad, it shouldn't have been an issue. You see the, the American government said the invasion of Canada was a simple matter of course, and there wouldn't be much fighting at all with former president Jefferson optimistically referring to the conquest of Canada as quote, little matter of a uh, little matter more than marching. That's it. Yeah. Just walk in there and take yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that may have actually been the case if Hull had given it a real try. Uh, but as soon as he heard about the fall of Macna, he turned on a hauled ass back to the border without doing much of anything. Uh, Hull and his fleeing army found refuge behind the walls of Fort Detroit, where they were joined by Lieutenant Hank's soldiers fresh from their defeat yeah. at Mackinac. Unfortunately, hiding at Fort Detroit may have actually been an even worse idea than invading Canada in the first place. Hull's army like every other American army during the war, be a victim of the government's terrible mismanagement. Not only have they not been resupplied on their abandoned march north, they also had no forward supplies set out for them, and they burned through the vast majority of their supplies quickly on the march north. Uh, They just assumed that their stores would be refilled by raiding Canadian towns. Towns they never got to raid. Yeah, well... Putin sit around at this time. That'd be sweet. The president of Russia. No, he was not. Ooh, nice. <laughs> you mean Putin? I call it Putin. It's you can't just call it whatever you want. That's not what it's called. Works out fine for me. You're wrong though. 
Eh. And it's a delicious drunk dish that you should not besmirch in such a way. I'm just wondering if it's around at the time. Oh, probably. Because if it is, then. Well, they never got that far. They couldn't do anything. Uh. Um, well, if things couldn't get much worse for uh, Hall's army, they did. Because uh, when they pulled back into Fort Detroit, they found it completely empty. Uh, there was no supplies in there. And uh, the few depots that had anything in it consisted of just soap and whiskey. Nice. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess if I was going to be stationed out in the middle of the frontier, I would want a healthy supply of whiskey, too. Yeah. Or honestly, whenever I go back to Detroit to visit my family, I also like a lot of whiskey to get through it. Um, I would imagine it's probably uh, some old crow made by Dr. James Crow. No, I don't think it was. Because if it was old crow, this tragedy wouldn't have occurred. They would have succeeded in what they were about to do. I doubt that. Uh, But with the power of old crow, sponsor us. Um, (laughs) This wouldn't have been an issue. You can soar high above. The battlefield. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I assume at this point, Hall's army is probably shit faced and smelling magnificent from all the soap, but things still got worse. Brock's forces managed to capture all of his letters and dispatches that he was trying to send out. Uh, nothing's yeah. looking good. No, nothing. it just at this point, it's at, like at, at this, like the whiskey's the cool part, and the soap is just an add-on. Yeah, I I ho- I don't know if they had enough whiskey to make this worthwhile. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't even touch the soap. And the worst part was um, Hall was not conservative in his dispatches. He just let his heart bleed out on the paper. <gasps> yeah. he uh, His dispatches uh, showed that, one, that morale was <laughs> terrible. And uh, they feared the numbers at the Indians that uh, were coming, and they had no supplies. There's too much soap, not enough whiskey. Yeah. Can we get some bread or something? Um, also the idea of the inflated Indian numbers are made worse by Lieutenant Hanks, yeah. who was all just told the same thing. And he's like, dude, there's thousands of them. Yeah. Holy fuck. He's really believing in this shit. Yeah. And Hall is apparently the most gullible person on earth because he didn't even so much as question it as much. He just like just falled into a pit of depression and From got Michigan. Drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was the governor of Michigan. We don't have a good track tracker. Tracker has not there. been good. No. Um, we are not sure of the quality of the drinking water, though. Or Ooh. the whiskey. Yeah. So uh, Hanks made this worse by telling him all the horror stories of the supposed legions of heavily armed natives that uh, flanked Brock's army of soldiers. Um, here's something that I am unsure of. If Hanks actually believed this after seeing the reality of Brock's army after surrender, he never saw all of Brock's army, uh, leading him to assume that uh, he really did have a huge army in a way yeah. or that he was lying his ass off to protect himself from his future court martial. None of these things are really for sure. Yeah. And Brock would, or, uh, and, uh, Hanks would never get a chance to defend himself for reasons we were about to find out. Um, but either way, uh, Hanks stuck trying true to his story that there's a ton of Indians out in the forest ready to kill them. <laughs> um, now back to Brock. He now knew that the American defenders were terrified of fighting his force. So he began to dabble in a little psychological warfare. He wrote a fake dispatch and then made sure it fell into the hands of Hall's men. The dispatch was then taken to him, um, which read um, that he had somewhere north of 5,000 native soldiers. And and his dispatch was supposed to be addressed to the commander of Fort Mackinac, uh, telling him to stop 
sending native soldiers to him because they cannot supply them all. So this guy is uh, basically fucking with him to the point where uh, they're going to run out of whiskey. Yeah, there's not enough whiskey to fix all this. Yeah. Um, after ensuring that Hall had received the dispatch, he sent Hall a real message that read, the force at my disposal authorizes me to require full of you the immediate surrender of Fort Detroit. It is far from my intention to join a war of extermination, but you must be aware the numerous body of Indians who have attached themselves to my troops will be on the control uh, the moment the contest commences. He then pleaded for his surrender. I thought he would send a message like, hey, did you see my last one? Yeah. Was it good? Was it good enough for you? Uh, Brock then had all of his militia. Remind you, he only has about 50 regular soldiers in this army. He had all of his militia change into regular army uniforms. Um, Why he had hundreds of extra uniforms (laughs) laying around isn't really noted. Um, But the troops were then told to light individual cooking fires at night instead of one per unit, thereby creating the illusion there's a much, much larger army out there rather than a small force full of drunken militia and fur trappers. Do you see how many fires we got? <laughs> it's it worked. Um, but you know what it did show is that there was a fucking full British regular army out there. Uh, that that so then he played another trick. Uh, they marched up to take positions in plain sight of the Americans. Then they would quickly duck behind entrenchments and march back out of sight. They then repeated this maneuver over and over and over again. Now, if you can't picture this, because um, it's kind of weird to think about it, how these um, British and, and the Indians try to make themselves seem like infinite. Um, but the Americans didn't see the British leaving their entrenchment. So all they saw was an endless stream of British regulars marching towards the woodline to like attack them. And then they would duck behind those entrenchments and I guess kind of like low crawl back to the main camp out of eyesight from the defenders. It seems like really weird to try to picture it, but like all they saw was people coming into, I see like a cartoonish endless line. Yeah. It's, it's like an Acme cartoon, but it's a military tactic that worked. Yeah. On a bunch of fucking Michigan. Now this is not just Michigan militia. Uh, This is Michigan, Ohio and several regular army units. I'm going with Michigan because um, they are in Michigan. Uh, well, it was commanded by the governor of Michigan. And at, honestly, at this point in history, Michigan does not have, and, and that shit that goes to current day, uh, Michigan is really good at picking really terrible people to be governor. Um, a little bit later in the future, Michigan's governor would invade Ohio. Not the same guy. He was like 28. What? It's a, it's a story Holy for a shit. different yeah. episode because yeah. I, it's actually the reason guess, why Ohio and Michigan hate each other. Like, and it, it now, and now covers like college football. I didn't even know they hated each other, to be honest. Yeah, it's a regional thing. So the same trick that they carried out for the entrenchments was carried out during meals. Um, they would march up and then dump all their beans into a hidden pot, disappear from view, and then rejoin at the end of the line. Uh, it was around this time that, the 500 or so members of the Michigan militia who I should remind you accompany their own governor in the battle deserted the fort in the middle of the night. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm out. They, I am not voting for that guy again. Um, they went out the back door. Di- yeah, I guess they weren't surrounded. They said nowhere to go. Also. I mean, I don't think Brock would have stopped troops from leaving because it's in his best interest that there's nobody in there. He just wants the fort. Battle's costly. I mean, at this point, I'm willing to bet 
that uh, that Brock knew that while his techniques were working, he was still going to take tons of casualties assaulting a secure, like a, you know, a fortified position. Yeah. So it's in his best interest that people desert and he lets them leave. Yeah. I can see if he that. Shoots at him while he's leaving. They're going to turn around and run back in the fort. <laughs> True. Um, yeah. So these mind games went on until August 15th when Brock's guns finally began their b- bombardment of the fort. Brock moved his disguised militia who remind you they're disguised as regular army troops to the fort's rear while the leader of the native warriors, Tecumseh, had his force parade several times past a gap in the forest where the Americans could see them, all while making loud war cries. Now, just like the British had done, he ensured his forces looped back around when they were out of sight, making it look like there was an endless human wave of screaming native fighters. So everybody's involved. Oh, yeah. Um, The combined effect absolutely scared the shit out of the remaining people in the fort. Uh, like any good commander with the odds stacked against him, certainly Hall was planning uh, his defense for days and weeks now, right? Not quite. Uh, Hall had spent this entire time locked away in his quarters getting hammered rather than preparing any kind of defense. Going through all their whiskey rations. Yeah, he instead left that little detail to Hanks to do all the work, which, going off of Lieutenant Hanks' previous fort defense experience, this is not a good choice to make. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, uh, with little hope uh, that they did have, had slipped away, morale shattered uh, amongst the men trapped behind Detroit's walls. Hall began openly talking about the impossibility of holding out against the force, which seemingly consisted of thousands of British regulars and thousands of native soldiers. And this is like in front of his other officers, in front of soldiers, just like wandering around drunk as shit, talking about Everybody. they're all going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what, you know, this isn't something you want to hear from a commander. No. Officers are kind of there to lie to you. I mean, I don't know how many um, listeners we have who are not in the military or don't know that much about the military. I would like to assume we have at least one. Um, so officers and NCOs, are not, they're known as non-commissioned officers, um, they're not supposed to tell soldiers uh, in hopeless situations that it's in fact hopeless. Yeah. They're not. Uh, supposed to go down the same mental rabbit hole as as enlisted dudes are supposed to. They're supposed to be rallying the cause, rallying the the defense, stuff like that. Um, Hall apparently didn't agree with that whole no. line of thought. Um, he was in the hole with all the other enlisted, right? Um, you know, so Hall began to fear of a slaughter when he heard all those Indian war cries. Um, women and children actually were all in the fort as well um, because when the British uh, advanced on Fort Detroit, it was uh, pretty common for the settlements in the surrounding areas to pull their uh, citizens back into the fort. They had actually done that when natives had attacked in the past. Yeah. Uh, So now they're all trapped in there together Um, along with all of those civilians were also Hull's own daughter and grandchild. Oh, he's got family there too. Yeah. Nice. So you can see why he's a little worried, I guess, if we're going to humanize him a little bit other than just calling him an idiot. Um, so there's there's a fair amount of legitimate fear that he had. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to fight this army that he thinks he's going to fight. Yeah, this endless army. Yeah, I yeah, wouldn't want to fight that either. This endless army of hardened British regulars and and people who they think of as like savages who take no prisoners, which not the savages part, but native forces generally did not take prisoners. Yeah. 
bad things happen to people who fell into native warriors hands. It's not a controversial statement yeah, to say. No, no. It's, it's... <laughs> um, so his subordinates though, kept up the fight. His supporters urged him to fight on partly from some kind of soldierly honor and possibly because they may have seen through Brock's fake army. Uh, it's not really noted, which is which, but against their advice, the hull hosted the white flag of surrender after a siege that lasted a grand total of one day of actual guns firing. One day, one day. He sent messengers to Brock asking for three full days to agree on terms of surrender. Brock replied that he would only allow him three hours. <laughs> um, if you're guessing that Hall bent over backwards and immediately agreed to those terms, you would be right. Fuck yeah, and he then did. He, he surrendered without further argument. In the end, only seven Americans were killed in our one day of fighting. To include our dear friend, Lieutenant Porter, from the last battle. Fuck, that sucks. <laughs> the dude has bad luck. Um, which, I mean, I guess the good news is... Um, because he was hit squarely in the face with a cannonball meant he wouldn't have to stay in trial. Another one? Yes. Yes. Uh, a cannonball actually, uh, a whole broadside like hit him and the guy staying directly next to him at the same time, who also happened to be the only sober dudes left committing the defense. Fuck. <laughs> Bad luck. Um, so the pitiful answering fire from the guns of Fort Detroit only lightly wounded two British gunners. That is it. Splinters. Yeah. After Hull surrendered, the 1,600 Ohio militiamen from his army were paroled and escorted south until they were out of danger from attack out of the natives. Um, the 582 American regulars were sent to Quebec City as prisoners of war because they were regular soldiers. Right. Um, Hull himself was brought up on charges of cowardice and neglect of duty. Uh, of which he was convicted almost immediately with a kangaroo court and was sentenced to death. Oh, this is probably the same fate that would have awaited Porter if he hadn't been killed. So yeah. I guess a little bit of mercy on him um, before the sentence could be carried out. However, president Madison intervened and instead dismissed him from the army, respecting his prior revolutionary war service, though he would uh, never serve another day in uniform and would Lose all of his pensions and everything. Um, but that is part one of the War of 1812. Uh, so tune in next week for our conclusion of the War of 1812. Um, until then, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, the podcast at lions underscore by. Follow me on Twitter at jcast99. Follow Nick on Twitter at nickcastm1. That's right, right? Yeah, I finally learned Essentially, it. Essentially, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it only took you, what, 15 episodes? Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, thank you to everybody who's donating on our Patreon. You guys are awesome. Um, you're helping fund all of my research books, which turns out they get really expensive when you start getting some really obscure books. Um, share, review us on iTunes, and we will see you next week for our conclusion. Later.